Good morning. Welcome to Kessid. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're brand new and you're streaming with us, thanks for being here. We're in a series right now called Melodia. And uh, the idea of the series has kind of taken off in a little bit of a life of its own. I now have people thinking that they can blackmail me to, to tell them the song of the week, but it's not going to happen, at least for what you offered. So let's, let's, let's raise those up. <laughs> Let's raise those up a little bit, people here. Okay, this is, uh, this is, but the idea of the series is really fun. Uh, every week we're playing a different melodia, a different melody or piece of music that is supposed to represent a different genre or a completely different perspective. The series is centering around the one another's in the Bible as we talk about what it means to, to reopen our church, to kind of come out of quarantine and come alongside other people that have radically different viewpoints than us. Uh, the music helps us kind of understand that everybody grew up with different understandings of what is good or what is bad, what is quality, what is cheap. And, and so that's, that's the series, and that's been the fun that, that we've had with it. We've asked every single week, and I'm going to ask now, how many people, this song just fills you with warmth, this is my jam. Raise your hand, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot, actually, more than the previous two weeks. How many people, be honest, uh, not my jam. Yep, very few. Very, but I'm proud of you for, for because the whole point is that you don't buy in to what everybody's doing. But I do want to say that, that I cheated a little bit by picking a song tied to a beloved toy franchise and movie franchise. Uh, and, I, and I did it on purpose. But before I explain that, let me give you a little bit of song history. The song is entitled, You've Got a Friend in Me. It's a song by Randy Newman, and it's used as the theme for the 1995 Disney Pixar animated film Toy Story, as well as, I think, two of the, uh, the, the later movies as well. The song was so popular, that little, that little ditty, that it was nominated for both the Academy of Best Original Song and the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. Now, I guessed, it's even here on my notes, that this song would be one of our widest uh, This Is My Jam uh, invited songs, that it would be a song that was uh, by far more popular than any other songs because of the Toy Story franchise. But I need to preface before I go and, and dive into today's topic that 
that this song, as much as it's a song that pulls you in, there will be songs within this, within this teaching series that will push you away, that will probably have 90% of you saying, why did we just play that in church? Why is that important? Why are we talking about this? And that's the point. We're gonna have songs like today that pull you in and, and everybody just about goes, yeah, that's good stuff. And we're gonna have some songs that are just so far outside at least our culture or, or our uh, understanding that they are going to push you away. So I'm prepping you with a feel-good weekend that we're gonna have some other types of feelings around weekends. So, so don't be like, why is Danny trying to do all this provocative stuff? I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just riding the pendulum that is your emotions. That's, that's all it is. And it is true and it is good because, because as we awaken and as we spend more time together, that's what's gonna happen internally. You're gonna have gatherings where you're like, I like everyone here. I like all their beliefs. I like the way they see the world. These are my people. And then you're gonna go to other gatherings and you're gonna be like, I don't like anybody here. Why did I get tricked into coming to this? These are not my beliefs. <laughs> These are not my people. And both of those spaces are good spaces to sit in. So I'm just, just prepping you as we jump into the blue background and white clouds, there's gonna be other backgrounds and other colors to be experienced. <laughs> it's ominous, wasn't it? Maybe not next week, maybe next week. Nobody knows. Unless you up your, your bribe, then you'll know. Then you'll know. Um, okay, I think the reason this particular song is so beloved is because of, of course, the movie and because more importantly of what the song and the movie franchise are really talking about and that is the topic of friendship. Friendship is what we're gonna unpack today. Friendship is what we're gonna create some space for. Uh, for this to really work most effectively, you've gotta, you've gotta think about all the friends you have right now that are beloved and dear, and you gotta think about the friends that you've lost. You've gotta think about how people have treated you as a friend, and because all scripture is 360 degree, you've gotta think about the kind of friend you've been, and not just those times you were an amazing friend. Okay, don't, don't, don't cheapen it that way. Think about the times you also weren't a very good friend, because friendship as a whole is important, and friendship as a whole has to be talked about in its full capacity. Let me just give you uh, some recent facts about friendship and the way it's been trending the last 20 years. The average number of confidants in the average person's life has fallen by a third in the past 20 years. People have 33% uh, less people they can spend time with, they can share their, their deepest feelings with than they did 20 years ago. And now twice as many people have no confidants at all. Nobody, when, when surveyed, that they can actually be fully themselves and share what it is they're feeling. The stress of having no friends or confidants is as bad for your health as smoking or being overweight. So think about those trending statistics when it comes to friendship. And then think about the statistical damage that being lonely has on a person. As a matter of fact, if you wanna live longer, and I had actually some older folks meet me at the back door after last service and, and affirm this regarding their own lives and also friends that they've known. If you wanna live longer, a network of friends is actually even more important than a close family group. Older people live 22% longer if they have an extensive friend network. We're just, we're just built to be in friend 
ships were built to be in community. Now, I, I wanna read one other statistic that I put at the end because when I do these sorts of things and I try and do my research and not just pull from random statistics just because they're creative and fun, but this one, I don't know if it's true, but it's, it's awesome when you imagine it fully uh, in your mind's eye. This is the statistic, I'll just read it simply and then I'll tell you what I thought about when it came to my friends. Instead, there was once a study that administered electrical shocks to subjects, their friends, and then total strangers. And it showed that the subjects' brains reacted the same whether they or their friend were about to be shocked. So they apparently put three people in a room. Okay, so I'll use my friend Ryan uh, up in the sound booth running my slides right now. And they said, Danny, we're about to shock you. And my brain went, <gasps> and then they said, Danny, we're about to shock Ryan. And apparently, because Ryan's my friend, I went, <gasps> But then they said, Danny, we're about to shock Mike that we just pulled in off the street. And apparently Ryan and I went, do it. <laughs> According to the statistics, Ryan and I were like, not our friend, shock away. I don't know how true that could be, but I thought it was fantastic, so I offer it up to you. That is the power of friendship. <laughs> you want other people to be shocked, not your friends. It's powerful, powerful stuff here at Kesson deep and rich, so make sure you take lots of notes. Here's my question. If the desire for connection to another is so universally helpful, why do we find it so difficult to build healthy, lasting friendships? If all this is true, if everything I just said is, is like we're built for it, the Bible says we're built for it, statistically, physically, emotionally, you degrade when you have less friendships, then why doesn't everybody just have great friendships. It's so good for you. I think it has something to do with this idea that friendships are supposed to be built. They don't just happen. When we're little, friendships, especially real young, are based on like, you know, that you and I like to go down the same slide and we have the same recess and you're nice. And then as you get older, they're built around ideas that we like the same cartoon after school or, or, or maybe we go to the same church or they, they, the, the, the degrees get a little more, but not anything crazy. But then all of a sudden, as time marches on, we subconsciously have this other need that starts to play out. And the people in front of us don't somehow meet those needs or at least we don't understand why we're not meeting their needs and they're not meeting our needs. And so suddenly we find ourselves lonely and yet that little kid within us is still desiring to be in community and have friends. Friendships have to be built. They have to be actually thought about. They have to be looked at. They have to be designed. They have to be planned. Most of us, our friendships, I shouldn't say most, it seems to me many people build friendships. They're like, I build my friendships, but they're like sandcastle friendships. Like you fill a bucket and you have a, a design and you put them on the beach and you're like, I did that. And then the waves come in or the wind blows or something haphazardly walks through your life and they fall apart and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll go back and put it back together. And over and over and over you, you build your friendship, but they're not really a building that anybody would want to live in. And frankly, they're just all full already with most of what you're dealing with. There's no space for anybody else. And so they just come and they go and we move on to the next beach. Today, I wanna share with you three things that I have learned about friendship that have changed my whole uh, relational trajectory. And in church, that can be kind of hard because 
uh, well, so you know, because I'm part of a church, I'm supposed to just have friends everywhere. Because you're part of the church, you're supposed to just have friends everywhere. And it's really not true. It's a lie that we've been sharing with people a lot, that if you'll go to church, that everybody will be friendly to you and you'll be friendly to everybody and all your problems to friendships will go away. And it's not true. Because friendships have to be built even here. So I wanna look at that and I wanna give you these. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to, to take notes or get on the app, take the notes, my notes from the app. And then I'd like you, whether it's today at Super Bowl or sometime this week, I'd like you and try and do this a little, like, like you know, try to be a little bit off to the side while you do this, but I want you to look at the people in your friendship groups and evaluate them. Try not to just be like, this coming Super Bowl be like, what are you doing? I'm evaluating you like they said to do at church. I'm thinking whether or not... <laughs> you qualify as a good friend. Which, by the way, if you were going to do that, you'd have to equally evaluate yourself. It's just hard to do because I'm way more easy on myself than I am on most people around me. But if you took time this week and you took these principles, I think they might help you evaluate your friendships and maybe even how to build some great ones. Here's the first thing. Healthy, lasting friendships build upon intentionality. They don't just happen by accident. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That other verse wasn't the only verse with building in it. Over and over and over, the Bible says we are to build people. We are to build into people. So this verse is encouraging us to do that, to take time and to do it through encouragement, meaning not just through time served, not just through relational proximity, not just through like, hey, yeah, you seem cool, but actually encouraging that person and building into their lives around the things that you see need encouragement. I think most of us know this, and yet most of us also make excuses like I'm just too busy or I'll spend time with them when it's more convenient. If you were to look at the Bible and study the time Jesus spent here, on our planet, I think also most of us would agree that Jesus had a fairly big job to do while he was here. He had like a mission, he was busy, he had goals, and yet Jesus spent time with 12 people almost every evening that he was intentional about building into. And this is a really important part of, of what I believe is a misunderstanding about Jesus. I think people think that the, the, the most powerful thing about spending time with Jesus was learning from Jesus, being taught from Jesus. Amazing, very powerful. But there's lots of teachers in the world. There were then, there are now. And Jesus taught them better than anybody. He's Jesus. But I think the thing, if you sat down Peter or John or one of the others and you were like, man, tell us like after the crowds left and everything was, was quiet and it was just you guys like having some bread around the fire. Like, what'd you guys talk about? What was Jesus like? I think the thing that they would say is that he was an incredible listener. I think you would just, you would, they would just talk about how he, he was never distracted. He was never not fully present. He listened to them in such a way that, that their hearts felt heard and that they felt valuable and important and seen. And then, yes, they could come alongside and, and he could give them nuggets of information that would, that would tangibly change the way they live their lives. But I don't think that happens without the intentionality of the time they spent around the fire. And the reason I don't think that happens is because most of Jesus's teachings are written down and they don't change people's lives 
like they changed those disciples' lives, at least not to that extent. And a ton of other people heard his teachings like they did and saw his miracles like they did. But it was that time in the evening when he was with them, when he was listening to them, when he was intentional, not just about his mission, but about the time he spent with them and encouraging them according to what they needed, according to how they needed to be built. Jesus came to build a kingdom, hands down, powerful. But he also lived out the verses that his word teaches us and he built people around him. And those 12, those are the ones he built most. And not every one of them worked out. It's a little tiny lesson, okay? He got 11 out of 12. So when you have those friendships that go sideways, don't be like, I guess I'm a terrible builder of people. No, it's not what I said. Stop putting words in my mouth. I just said that sometimes what you need to do is be around people and encourage them how they need to be encouraged. And right now, these days, a lot of people need to be encouraged by listening. Just, just a little something from my heart to yours. Now, intentionality can look different in different uh, situations. In today's world, it may mean that we send a text to a friend when they come to our mind. It may mean setting aside time for coffee once a week for a good heart to heart. The key is that time has been given to make sure the friendship grows. I like this quote. Lasting friendships are ones that have seen lots of intentionality poured into them. I have a friendship like this. This is my friend, Nate. Out of all the three services, this is the only one he's actually at. So we'll see how this goes. (laughs) Um, Nathan and I have been friends since we were two and a half years old the reason that him and I know that is because every time we're with our moms it seems they remind us did you guys know you've been friends since you're two and a half years old you met in the church nursery it was amazing love at first sight whatevs the point is I spent a lot of time with this man and I know him and he knows me but we aren't just friends because we like all the same things or because we connect in some way, we're friends because for some reason, out of all the friends that I've had since I was two and a half years old, he's the one and I've the one that have decided to be the most intentional about our friendship. We go out of the way to check on each other. We don't see each other every day. We don't even talk every week, but we are intentional about the friendship that we have. And it's a beautiful thing and it's an important thing, but it's not an easy thing. Because for one thing, when you have intentional friends, friends that know that they know that they know that you can get into some stuff, you can get into a situation, but because of your intentionality, you will get through it. Those friends end up playing by whole different rules sometimes. And I don't like it every single time it happens. Nathan does it more than me. (laughs) When I was uh, about 16, 17 years old, Nathan and I bought our first two cars together uh, in a fair enough, close enough time frame, We both bought early 60s Mustangs. He bought a red one and I, brought, I bought a green one. And then when we were about 18, 19 years old, we did it again and we bought mid 90s Mustangs. He bought a white one uh, and I bought a yellow one. And so what ended up happening was this car culture started building within us. Now I wanna, be, I wanna speak for myself here and also throw my friend under the bus that we weren't always the God-fearing, church-filled, Holy Spirit-driven men that that we are now. Lord bless us. So, so I, by the way, I told this story. I told the story, Nate, uh, on Thursday, and uh, they they gave me permission to share it again. So uh, I took a vote (laughs) because I said, I don't know about Sunday morning because this thing's got a stream. 
and I can't, I can't defend myself, but uh, we, got, we took a vote and we, we shared the story. So I'm gonna share a story with you that I've never shared from stage ever, but that the Thursday crowd, who's our first week in service, uh, voted should go through. So if you don't like it, you need to blame them and their Holy Spirit. So uh, Nathan and I, during this season of life, we got into a lot of road racing and all kinds of other behavior. And one of the things that developed out of this that wasn't very healthy, but was just something that I only ever really had with him was that whenever we would see one another's brightly colored cars, Wherever we were, driving by, alongside the freeway, at a light, it didn't matter. If I saw his car or he saw mine, we developed this unfortunate habit of, and we need to be careful how we translate this exactly for our, for our deaf friends. Um, do you know what it means to give someone the bird? Okay. So I would see Nathan at a light, and I, and I was like, there's my brother Nathan. And I would roll down the window, and I would offer him a bird. I know we are in mixed company here. <laughs> People are watching at home with their little ones right now going, Danny has birds? Like I, I, I would offer him a bird and then he would roll down his window and he would offer me a bird in return and we would fly birds back and forth into one another's, into one another's cars. This is not, I didn't say it was good. I, I'm not starting a bird class after church. Relax, those of you who aren't laughing. I'm just saying at 19 years old, this is something that, that just took off. It became crazy. Like we, it, it was just, it became crazy. So one time, after this had been going on for months, I'm at a light and I see Nathan pull up behind me in, at the stoplight. Now we both have dark, dark tinted windows. And I see Nathan and his car and his white Mustang. And so I roll down my window and I pass back a bird. And it flies back to his car and I wait. And Nathan doesn't roll down his window. He doesn't pass back the bird. So I'm like, what's up with that? Maybe he's having a bad day. You know what? I'm a friend of great intentionality. <laughs> I'm going to send him some more birds. So I send him another bird and then another bird. People around me are looking. Okay. And then the light takes off, but Nathan stays right behind me. He doesn't pull up. He's not, he's not rolling down his window. There's no like fun, like, like, you know, revving of engines, nothing right behind me. So boring. And I'm like, fine, man. So I, I wait till it's a straight, straight path and I put out both of my hands and I offer multiple birds at once, a barrage of birds, right? Just bird after bird after bird after bird. Are we doing all right over there? Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Everybody for the first time all watched her instead of me. They're like, what's gonna happen here? What's gonna happen here? So I'm offering all these birds and he's not doing anything. And then finally we get up to the next light and finally Nathan pulls around and pulls up next to the light. And I'm just, I'm just throwing birds at his window at this point. I just want him to know I care about him. I see him. He's important to me. <laughs> and this, this dude rolls down his window and sitting in his passenger seat is his mother. And she's like this, like. And he is like this. <laughs> and of course I'm like, ah, hi Mary. She's like. And the light turns green and they cruise off into the night and I just sat there knowing he would tell my mom everything. 
Now here's what I know Nathan did because we've been friends for so long. I know exactly what he did, although he's never confessed it. Him and his mom were driving along and all of a sudden he was like, is that Danny's car? And his mom was like, I think that is Danny's car. I sure love him because she loved me. And he goes, and all of a sudden Danny tosses out a bird and I know what happened. She went, what, what's going on? And Nathan went, oh, I have no idea what's going on. And then Nathan stayed there to incite more birds. And the whole time, Mary's just like, this is, this is ludicrous. This is, what's going on, Nathan? Are you guys in a fight? And he's like, not that I know of. I usually just pray for Danny on Thursday nights. And I, I love him. I planned on seeing him at church. I don't know what's going on. Mom, let's pull up and find out. I know that's what he did. I saw it on his face. You can ask him afterwards if you want. But... What was important was that no matter what went through my mind, no matter how much trouble I got in from my own mother, when his mother called my mother, no matter what, I never thought one time, I wonder if our friendship's over. And I guarantee you, he didn't either. When you have friends that are intentional, when that becomes part of the building blocks of your friendship, then yeah, they play by some different rules and, and hopefully those rules mature, but the bigger point of it is that there is a space where you get to be you and they get to be them and life happens and you get to settle into a place where you know you're accepted and you know that you accept your friend. Amen? Amen. All right, Nathan, stand at the back. People have lots of questions for you about this. <laughs> Next one, healthy, lasting friendships build upon being mutually beneficial. These, uh, these, these healthy friendships, I'm not, this isn't every friendship, but, I, but the healthy friendships, they should be a friendship that is built upon being mutually beneficial. I can't tell you how often I have discovered in a friendship a year or so in that this person was friends with me for a reason I didn't understand at the time. And if I was to be honest, uh, really hurt my feelings around the idea that they were friending me for some benefit that I hadn't agreed to. We must realize that the people we choose to spend our time with have an enormous impact on our identity, values, goals, and growth. We must decide that this is true. Otherwise, we end up spending our time with people who just use us for their benefit if we're not careful. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn once said, you are the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. Everybody in the room is doing the same math right now. You're like, oh. or you're like, hey. And probably, if you really want to be authentic about it, you should probably have three categories of five. You should have the people that if you were honest, you know they're friends with you for a benefit that's not healthy. They're, they're with you for the wrong reason. You should have the five people that, yeah, these are, these are the five people that we, we are mutually beneficial. We share one another's hearts. We, we have hard talks. We're authentic. And then because everything's 360 degrees when it comes to spirituality, you should have the five people you have in your life that you are the only beneficiary of the friendship. It takes some work to get there. But when you write those names down and you see them, it tells you how to navigate those friendships and not how to kill them, but how to build into them, how to build into the ones that, that, that are only there to pull something out of you, how to, how to maybe... Uh, uh, build into the ones that you're only pulling something out of. And then of course, how to, how to better shore up and build the friendships that are mutually beneficial and healthy. 
1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It just does. And I I love that quote, that you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with, because I think it's very, very true. But but you've got to look at it from all those different perspectives. Who are you building and who's building you? A healthy, lasting friendship should be about us, not just you or me. It should be about us. It should be about both of us. Romans 1, 11 through 12 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, this is Paul writing a letter to the Romans. And Paul is writing this letter with the idea of receiving a benefit from this church that he's pastoring. Paul's pretty legit, has like a pretty good concept of who Christ is and what it means to have stuff like fruit of the spirit. He's a pretty hardcore guy. And you would think if anybody was gonna be the only person to build other people and not be built by them, it would be him. And yet he says, I want to come and see you so that I can be mutually encouraged, yours and mine. Everybody needs friendships like this that are mutually beneficial. This is my friend Tom and his wife, Lisa. This is probably my most mutually beneficial friendship. Uh, When I uh, planted this church along with a small group of friends, some of you know, some of you don't know, Kesed's about 11 years old, and it wasn't planted out of a denomination or a church plant movement. It was planted like out of the glove box of our truck and a Panera bread. Like that's, that was our whole strategy. Like lots of, broccoli and cheddar soup going on in the early days of, of Kesson. And we just, we just had this idea, but we also had all the control. So, so there was no covering, there was no accountability. It was just us and the dream and what we wanted to do. And specifically, if I'm confessing, me. I had all the control I wanted, as much or as little as I wanted. And as the church grew, this was awesome. Because who doesn't like having all the control? Right? I mean, it was awesome. And, and it's a church kind of strategy uh, uh, standpoint. I had some advisors, I had some people, but I didn't really have anybody that could say no to me with power. Now, as the church grew, of course, I knew I had to have elders, and so we began to build those. But the day-to-day operations of the church were still under my control, and the elders then would make sure I wasn't too far outside the the reins, and then that's how we operated for a really long time. But church planting, because I have the privilege of doing a little bit of coaching for other pastors, is a little like getting onto a riverboat and floating down a crazy river, and you think you're gonna be worried about like the rapids or the weather or all these other things that are gonna shrink your church, But we're in the Northwest. This is one of the most difficult places to plant a church. And there are all kinds of other things that swim out from shore and try to eat you and sink your boat. And many of those things have to do with administration, have to do with the business. If you are more artistic, if you can get lost like I can for six, seven hours and and creating all kinds of, of this stuff and just having a ball, that stuff is often what swims out, the administrative stuff. Now, if you're an administrative pastor and I'm coaching you, do you know what's gonna swim out from the shores? The relational, the artistic, all the opposites of what you have. Either way, stuff's coming for you. And it's gonna try and shrink your boat because that's just how the enemy works. And the Northwest has narrow rivers, terrible weather, and all kinds of rapids to boot. So between those two things, not a lot of people make it. And I didn't wanna be one of those people. And that's why God brought me Tom. 
Tom came onto the boat one day and he looked around and he said, this is a mess. And I said, but it's so creative. We were like the lost boys of church planting. I'm like, look at all the colors. And he's like, does your engine work? And I'm like, we don't need engines. You know, it was just, it was a mess. And so he said, hey, I have some gifts I think can help you, but, but you're gonna kind of let me, you're gonna have to let me kind of do my thing. And I was like, of course, do your creative thing with that business. And he's like, yeah, this is more like systems and strategies and structures. And I was like, oh, structure doesn't sound very, very fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good time. Like, I don't, I don't wanna sit and look at performers every day and spreadsheets. And he's like, yeah, but this is how you, like be an adult. Like that's kind of the stuff that we had to deal with. So Tom got invited onto the boat. And for me, this is what that felt like. It was like inviting a bear onto a boat. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Once this bear got on our boat, nothing messed with us anymore. Stuff swam out. Tom did that. And they went, oh, okay. And swam right back. And suddenly I was like, this is awesome. Like, like, we don't have to worry about any of this stuff. You still got weather, you still got pandemics, you still got rapids, but you don't got these other creatures coming out trying to get you. Like the bank likes us, right? Like, like the business guys and women in the church that are like, hey, tell me about your strategy. They sit with Tom and they're like, oh, legit. Like, it's so freeing to know that, 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 that there's health, right? Beneath all the beautiful, colorful uh, stuff going on up in the rigging that Danny gets credit for but there's also a bear on a boat. Like he eats a lot, he has needs, he's loud. Like when we just wanna lay people out on the deck and look at the stars, you can't, he's there. You can't, you gotta, you gotta know like, hey, we got a bear on a boat. And, and that's not, it's not a one-way cost. And what bear wants to live on a boat? Like they wanna go out in the woods, they wanna go experience life, they wanna go do what bears do. And instead he's confined to this, this, you know, this church that's floating up and down in this creative world, captained by a guy who just like, hmm, looks good. And he's just trying to keep the engines going. And it's this really beautiful space that we ended up finding that was mutually beneficial to us. Because bears can use some of those stargazing nights. Those are important. And, you know, they're fun to ride as children. I mean, that's good stuff, right? Those bears, like, like it's fun to experience life with a bear that is good and safe. But it's also really, really important to have a boat that people can invest their lives into and not feel like it's gonna get torn apart by the next wave of intuition or the next crisis that comes alongside. There's a great deal of the reason we survived this pandemic like we did because of Tom, because of our bear on the boat. You need to have friends that are mutually beneficial. You need to have people in your life that can say no to you with power. That can go, yeah, we're not gonna do that. And you go, I'm gonna paint your face later while you're sleeping, but okay. <laughs> it's good, it's right, and if you are all by yourself out in the woods, or if you are all by yourself on the river, I think you're missing something. This is also what makes Kesed really, really special because we have, and I could go on and on and on with my illustrations, but we have a lot of people that don't fit anywhere else here. And they're doing life alongside other people they never thought they'd get to spend life with. 
because they were told, well, you're, you're too loud or you're, you're too artsy or you're too flaky or you're too business. This culture of, of being willing to accept the melodia God has given me, I haven't toned it down a bit. If anything, I've just gotten worse. But I trust him and I trust the elders that I have. And so it's given me this freedom to do what I do. They do what they do. He does what he does. And I just want you to know, if you feel sometimes like uh, you're just really restricted, like you just don't belong, uh, I would challenge you to, uh, to really evaluate that. It might have to do with the kind of friends that you're doing life with and the fact that either you want all the control or you let other people control you or you're just not comfortable with people around you that can say no with power. It could be a mix of any of those things. And that's the investigation you get to do this week with your friends. When you lovingly, not like some stalker after church, stare at them and evaluate that friendship. Yeah, that's good, right? That's good. All right, last one. Healthy, lasting friendships build upon love. In a commitment, commencement address a few years ago, American author Jonathan Franzen said that, the, that instead of loving, we as a culture right now go for the path of least sacrifice, something called liking. He perceptively notes liking in general is commercial culture's substitute for loving. If you were to consider honestly the landscape of your past and current friendships, ask yourself, what are they built upon? If I was honest, because this is as much about me processing in front of you, my own melodia, both good and bad as it is anything else, I have built many of my past friendships on common likes, on things like mutual interests, hobbies, shared sensibilities, I mentioned earlier physical proximity, similar stage of life. I would find something, I would like something, they would like the same thing, and I would be like, we should be friends. And then we would build a friendship around that like. And for a while, it's really fun. And I think it's fun because it's so easy, because there's nothing hard about liking something somebody else likes, especially if it just comes out of a, a natural place. You, you love or like this, and they like that, and so you're like, what? Did I just find my best friend? And it's all around like landscaping, or cars, or whatever your hobby is, or, or it's, a, it's because you have the same kind of family dynamic. You have three teenagers and, and I have three teenagers or, or our wives connect. So we don't really connect, but our wives really like each other. And I like that my wife likes your wife. So that's a common like, or you're my neighbor. And I'm like, well, I like that you live right there. How easy is that? And come visit you in my pajamas. Or I like that you go to my church. Ugh. I also have had some friendships that I liked because they didn't go to my church. I was like, never come, you're awesome. That was a true story, I had that conversation with a guy and he's like, that's weird. It's like, not really. Church can be a lot. And it's kinda nice to have somebody who doesn't see me as this guy, whoever this guy is that I'm still trying to figure out. Either way, all these different likes, they're shifting. They change, they, they move, they're seasons. And they're really, really, really hard to build friendships on that last. In contrast, biblical love, the opposite of like, if you will, is always unchangingly about the other. It's always about 
the other person. It's being built into their story, the pieces of, of their, their awakenings, the pieces of their struggle, all those things that are happening. And when you love another person, you come alongside those spaces, you create room for those spaces. And if the friendship is built on love for those spaces, then it can be long lasting in spite of a change, a drastic change, a move to another state or a different job or, and I've had this happen, people who wanna stay friends but go to a different church. Those are all things that if the friendship was built on the unchanging about the other, then those friendships can last. John 15, 12 and 14 says, this is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He says, if you love like I've loved, you'll be my friend. Jesus isn't your Jesus or your friend because he likes things about you. He's not like totally into that landscaping hobby back there. Totally. Like, like, like Jesus says, okay, if that was the case, the closest people to Jesus would be the carpenters. Like everybody in the carpenters union would be like legit with Jesus because that's what he likes to do on Friday afternoons. Go outside, go into the shop, do stuff. But everybody else would be like, oh, I wish I could be friends with Jesus, but I'm not really into carpentry. Jesus isn't your Jesus because he likes you. Jesus is your Jesus slash friend because he loves you and because he loves me. And it's because of his love for us, a love for the other than himself, that he sacrificed himself on that cross, that he put himself first, and that he forever is trying to build into your life the things you need, not the things he needs, by the way, because he's lacking very little. He builds into your life the things you need. He's focused on you. He's focused on where and how he can serve and how he can bless. He is the ultimate friend because of his great love for you. This is my best friend, Aaron. I've shared this picture before because it's the very first picture of my wife and I we ever took or someone took of us. This is her son, Gabriel, who was about 19 months old at the time. Uh, when we started dating, she had him and uh, I've since raised him. He's now 25 and grows a better beard than I do. But we built a family. And if I was honest about this young woman and me, um, our relationship slash friendship is not built on likes. Uh, I like her, but, but we are really, really different people. Like she likes vegetables and I like candy. <laughs> she likes naps so much. And I like to be awake. She is an evening person. I'm a morning person. I could go on and on and on. We actually don't have that much in common. Except that from the moment we saw each other, we loved each other. And I know that's weird and I know that's strange. And I can only say it now after 22 years of marriage. I would never say it then. It definitely never allowed in marriage counseling. But I get to say it now because I made it 22 years, so... I love her and she loves me far more than I like her hobbies and she likes mine. Our relationship is built on love, not likes. 
And what's so interesting is to see my two children, my Gabriel and my daughter Taylor, both got married during the pandemic. And what's really interesting is the spouses they chose are spouses that are different. And from a parent's standpoint, you're like, what? Like, you guys don't like the same things. And without even knowing it, this culture passed down from our love. And both of them were like, no, but, but we love each other. I mean, a lot of people who struggle in marriage and a big thing they say is, well, we've just grown apart. We don't like the same things. Well, I don't know what to tell you because <laughs> my wife and I have never liked the same things. But the one thing we do have in common is our love for one another. And so I would just ask you, not just in a marriage relationship or even your, your current relationship, but in all your friendships, are they built on love? Are they built on the unchanging? Or are they built on what you like about the other person? Because that stuff, I don't know how fair it is. People need the chance to express themselves, to grow, to change, to develop. I think why Jesus built his friendship on love is because we are all so radically different. He'd be so busy with all of our hobbies trying to connect with us. But instead he just pulls us all back to love. You can have an eclectic group of friends, an eclectic church. You can have a beautiful community of people if you can decide to build all of it upon love. If you can decide to make sure that it is intentional and if you can decide to make sure that you are pouring out as much as you're receiving and so allowing it to be mutually beneficial. This is how Jesus loves you and this is how you're supposed to love. So spend some time, process your relationships, look at those top five, look at the ones you're pulling from, look at the ones you're pouring into, look at the ones that are good and healthy, have honest talks, be intentional, and love each other like Jesus loved you. Because the world is watching, and I think what they're watching more than our lights and our worship and our pastors and our preaching, they are watching our friendships. And if we can be a place full of all kinds of different people from different places who are built in relationship together on the love of Christ, I think we can, we can do anything. So I'm grateful to be in this church with you guys. I'm grateful you took some time and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Would you stand for me? And we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to reevaluate, to restructure, to process. Thank you for the chance to, uh, to listen, to be heard. May you walk with us out of this place as we spend time in community this coming week. May you highlight some people we're supposed to invest in and some people we're supposed to ask to invest in us. May we be honest about the relationships and friendships that are, that are toxic. May we be honest about the ones that are hard and authentic, but sometimes we just have to choose to stay within to really receive the fruit that that friendship is supposed to bear. May you encourage us to stay in that space. Thank you for every person here for the story you're telling with their lives. May you go with them now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. See you next week.